0: Coming up next month, we will be hosting our virtual 2020 Fall Symposium on Friday, November 13th. The symposium will be covering the topic, Worker Health, Work as a Social Determinant of Health. It'll be sponsored by the Institute, Oregon Healthy Workforce Center, OHSU-PSU School of Public Health, and PSU Occupational Health Psychology Program. This fall symposium will aim to understand the root causes of social determinants of health through the lens of the opportunities and conditions of work that shape our everyday lives. On this episode of what's work got to do with it, we're gonna take it back to one of our previous symposium that we hosted earlier this year. So May, we hosted our first virtual 2020 spring symposium on the topic of workplace aggression, preventing relational aggression and bullying. Um, And just a quick note, we do have all of our previous symposia recordings available on our website to watch at no cost. Just visit www.ohsu.edu and find the outreach and education tab and visit the training and symposia page. So on today's episode, we are going to um, take a listen back on a speaker. His name is John Lozano, and he talks about changing a toxic culture at work.
1: People's perceptions are different. You may have someone who has almost like PTSD from being bullied in the past. Their People have different tolerance levels, their makeup, a kind of, you know, a family origin or just kind of their experience. They actually shape how their perception is.
0: John Lozano is the first vice president for AFGE Local 2157 and has had the passion for developing behavioral solutions for organizations spanning over 20 years. His MBA and MSW degrees have provided the skill set and knowledge needed to help increase profitability through improved employee engagement. His work at Eli Lilly & Company involved improving mental health treatment teams, which directly impacted over 100,000 clients. Recent projects included executive and managerial consulting for organizations affected by toxic workplace culture. This has resulted in increase in employees' morale, reductions in operational costs, as well as reductions in bullying, incivility, turnover, and absenteeism.
1: What I think I'm going to do today is I'm going to begin with just a a broad strokes overview of incivility, bullying, which kind of makes up most of workplace aggression, um, you know, just to kind of get back into the, the mindset of, of how damaging this is for people and for organizations um, and kind of everybody involved. And then afterwards, I'm going to present a framework that actually will show how to change a toxic culture from kind of a, you know, a dysfunctional one into more high-performing and healthier one. So before I begin, I'm just going to say, and I'm not sure if it was said earlier, uh, there's a lot of good literature out there. I liked what I read. It's very complex and nuanced. And so there's not a lot of consensus when it comes to kind of defining things, um, deciding on a list of characteristics or examples. And so what I'm going to present is going to be just kind of some of the stuff that I found out there that I enjoyed. So incivility is actually, uh, it's, it's psychological in nature. It's considered a form of low-intensity, inconsiderate conduct. Let's see if I can get rid of this. Um, And it's associated with ambiguous intent to harm or target. And I think it's that ambiguity piece that really makes it kind of complex and nuanced. People have different perceptions and tolerance levels. And so how something is perceived and delivered may change depends on the party, may turn change depends on the person, and also who's delivering it. So here's some examples of insubility. Rude comments, verbal aggression, being disrespectful, lack of collaboration, ethnic jokes and slurs, sexual comments, attacking people's integrity, blaming others, and withholding important information. And again, this is just a small snippet of a changing list of of examples that I have. So bullying is comprised of three characteristics. According to this researcher, excuse me, and it's repetitive behavior that occurs at least two times per week, longer term behavior continuing at least six months. And the behavior happens to uh, happens where the person or people find it difficult to defend themselves or stop the abuse. So really, I think what they're doing is trying to, you know, put a framework around or, you know, uh, this being more abusive, longer, longer term, there's chronicity in this and kind of differentiate it from the incivility. Some of the domains of bullying are abuse of supervision, harm to reputation, threatening, intimidating, sabotage, isolation. And these may be both verbal or physical, and they're similar to domestic violence. So, like I just mentioned, incivility is often viewed as a lower intensity as compared to bullying, um, but there really is a lot of differences in people's perception. Maybe not so much with bullying itself. I think that's much more aggressive behavior. It's easier to kind of feel and, and understand that. But certainly with incivility. Um, again, people's perceptions are different. You may have someone who has almost like PTSD from being bullied in the past. Their people have different tolerance levels, their makeup of kind of, you know, family origin or just kind of their experience. They actually shape how their perception is. And so, whereas some people were able to take an act and and say, "You know what i it was kind of a moderate act that you know it was, it was something that was displeased, you know I was displeased with, but you know I can kind of shrug it off, and that same act for somebody else may be very deeply disturbing or hurtful to them, so you know it's hard to kind of wrap your hands around this sometimes. The literature shows and what's interesting to kind of further uh, look at some of the complexities but if a, if a person is in work team, so, you know, like, a, you know, they have a group and it's uh, over at work and, and whatnot, but they have an incivil act uh, done to them. Just say the supervisor made a rude comment or something like that. And that person may have, we'll say, a moderate uh, perception of what that was like. You know, they didn't like it, but they weren't quite sure. So, they checked in with a family member or again, or they checked in with a team, a team member and if that team member actually, or team members, I should say, actually assigned maybe a more negative kind of slant to it, and they said, oh, no, that, that was really, really bad. Um, and then they assigned a motive like, oh, okay, I think this, guy's pers- this person's got to get you. What's interesting is that that really changes the perception of the person who had that uh, instability uh, then to them. And so it, it changes their actual perception of that into a more negative. It can also be the reverse. It also can be something that the person is very negative about. They thought, oh, this is really bad. And they checked in with a team member, and actually after that conversation felt, oh, no, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as they thought. And so it really helps shape their perception. So some of the human costs: um, aggressive behavior, it erodes engagement. Uh, morale, it, you know, team spirit disappears. Creativity suffers. It decreases job satisfaction. It increases burnout and is less organizational commitment. So, some of the more damaging effects of bullying, and they were mentioned, I think, uh, previously, but increased stress, sleep disturbance, anxiety, including even panic attacks, depression. And, depression, although incivility and bullying do not necessarily cause all the depression in the workplace, they're highly associated with bringing on higher levels of depression. And depression, if if people don't know, or if if you'd like to know, it's basically a very debilitating um, uh, mental health issue, uh, and not just for the person. I mean, it affects work, uh, absenteeism, the quality, the quantity, uh, and this spills over into their family life, into the relationships, and other aspects of the person's personal life. In the organization, there's huge costs around it too. Again, there's work issues, there's absentee issues. Um, maybe it brings on females and things like that. So it's difficult for organizations to kind of manage that. And then there's psychosomatic symptoms. So things such as stomach aches and headaches, GI problems. You know, this is so bad that it truly affects people in a physical way. So some of the organizational costs. Uh, there was a survey of employees, and it showed that about 90% of people actually have experienced incivility. That's pretty high. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but that's a very high number. As many as 37% of employees have been bullied themselves. And that to me is actually pretty significant. Uh, There's a poll of over 800 employees and managers who experience workplace aggression and 48% of those people intentionally decrease their work effort. So, 38 percent, so this is people that experienced in the sample, 38 percent decrease their quality of their work. You know, I would hate to go to and have a brain surgery or be under the knife in some way and, and have it with the surgeon who was part of a, a work group where the quality was decreased. I mean, that would be very concerning to me. Eighty percent lost time worrying about the uncivil event. I mean, this is really where people start to make mistakes, um, injuries occur around the workplace. You know, their head's not in it. They're actually just—they're very distracted. And depending on what they do, I mean, you know, God forbid they're, they're dealing with nuclear waste or something. You know, depending on what they do, it, the consequences can be severe. 63% lost work time avoiding the uh, lost work time avoiding the person who was uncivil. So imagine if you're trying to uh, bring down a new initiative. You have something that you need to implement in your organization. And people aren't able to be around each other, not able to actually communicate and and work in in an environment that's productive. You know, it's a huge hit to the organization, to that team. 78% had a decline in organizational commitment. So their loyalty wasn't there. Um, Even more so, they might have a brand issue. I mean, people might be bad-bound from the organization because of this issue. 12% said they left their job just because of the uncivil behavior. I actually think it's a little low. I believe it's higher. So being with organized labor, I get to talk to people um, kind of like uh, informal exit interviews. And I get to see a lot of that and, and, and see people from some of these very toxic look environments. There's a lot of fear involved in that. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of folks just say, you know, I want to get out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. But they almost feel as if this person or whomever is doing this can reach out beyond the job and. And somehow harm them or affect their next um, work experience. And so, I, I actually think this number is probably um, higher. Twenty-five percent report taking it out on their customers. That's huge. I mean, if you're in the healthcare industry, if you're in, you know, any sort of a sales position or whatnot. I mean, our whole economy is moving from manufacturing into a service economy. So to have twenty-five percent, you know, taking out on their customers that can make or break you as an organization sometimes, especially if there's a lot of competition involved. And then 30% had fewer ideas, so creativity is actually um, reduced. If you go ahead and Google at your leisure um, top 10, you know, characteristics of what they're looking for for um, employees, creativity is one of the top pieces in there, so um, it's significant. So there was a study with the University of Southern California and this was at a bank and there was actually, there were two groups. The first group actually witnessed a supervisor reprimanding an employee. It was based on some paperwork that was done incorrectly Um, and the second group didn't witness this. So they went back and they actually surveyed both of the groups and they found that the group that had witnessed the person um, displaying that uncivil event, um, they only 20% of those folks would go back and use the services of this bank in the future. When they looked at the other um, group, 80% of those people would actually go and use the services in the future. So I brought this up just because that's how damaging, even just witnessing, incivility is, and how it actually affects people's behavior. So aggressive behavior in healthcare, you know, it's, it's significant. And there's problems with high caseloads, increased turnover, decreased productivity, increased absenteeism. So just taking a nurse, so turning over for one nurse in this, in this country is somewhere between forty dollars and $60,000. That's the cost involved, just as an example of what turnover does and what the costs cost are. This is such a big issue in just corporate America in general. They estimate it being a $200 billion problem. That's huge. So I kind of went over the broad strokes. Like I said, this wasn't complete. It wasn't a comprehensive list. Uh, the list changes and whatnot. But um, I just wanted to kind of get us back into that, the the framework, the mind frame of this. You know, there's a lot of good information, a lot of good research out there. They look at the severity and the prevalence and the cultural aspects, a lot of defining characteristics. You know, it's very clear, even though it was very brief. Um, just how damaging it is for the employees, what the costs are, at least we're going to get into a little bit more, but the cost for organizations, you know, and and how this becomes a very dysfunctional and toxic uh, work environment. You know, it's interesting because we have a lot of this information and yet again, like I said, it's so nuanced. Oh, could you go next slide? I think this slide. So this is just some of the nuances. I, I brought this because uh, these are based on some conversations and things I've read and heard about. Um, but these are some of the people's mindsets uh, when you're trying to actually reduce or deal with this issue at work. So there are some people that believe that, um, aggression is part of a competitive team. I've actually had conversations with a couple of law firms and I spoke to the attorneys and they basically told me, you know what, we have a lot of aggression here. It's, I think it's part of what makes us better than our competition makes us better than other law firms. I think they're actually confusing competitiveness with aggression. Um, but what's interesting is after i got to talk to these people and you keep listening and asking, uh, asking more follow-up questions, there is a lot of issues with aggression. Even though they said at one time, you know, hey, this was good, we like this, there is a lot of consequences to the aggressive behavior too. So, you know, to be continued with that. Some may not realize their behavior constitutes uh, as being aggressive, and this certainly isn't bullying behavior i would say but sometimes the nuances um, of incivility um, can be you know, misconstrued or or really sometimes people think you know i'm not i didn't do that one thing that i always talk when i when i speak with managers i tell them or I, and people in general i would say how you deliver information is everything and also given the context or the culture of the work group you know if you have a positive work group Things are going to be taken with a different, you know, at a different light than if you have a very toxic and negative work, work group. And so it actually helps change and taint that experience. Some people think by ignoring the behavior it might go away on its own. You know, I see, like I said, I see a lot of fear from the victims. Um, and I know there's a lot of different reasons. There was one that was brought up earlier, but, I, you know, there are nuances and complexities. But I see a lot of fear and, you know, people don't want, it. sometimes it's embarrassing and they don't want to deal with this and they want it just to go away. And so they may be less apt to call people out on this or write the reports or do some of those things to actually help themselves. Um, here's a big one. Um, the quest for generating profits, profits can put a strain on work relationships. This is huge. And in fact, when I, when I put this down, I actually thought about where we're at right now. I mean, our economy is shut down. It's starting to open up. People have lost revenue. Businesses are, are just being taxed incredibly. As well as people and there's going to be a huge pressure to generate revenue and profits there already wasn't in a the, in the few you know in the past and I think that even more so moving forward this is going to be a big issue if you're not a manager who has the skill set to motivate your employees to truly get them to do what they need to do to inspire them it's gonna be very very simple to start to try it and then get discouraged and then go into kind of demanding or maybe even some incivility, possibly even bullying to get what you need I mean there's a lot of pressure on managers and that pressure is going to go back down to employees too so leadership may not have the depth of understanding to address the problem they may not make make it a priority and that's a lot of different things I mean part of its education And part of that education, I think, is really understanding what's of value to the leadership and and crafting and tailoring those conversations around what's in it for them, what's important to them, because, you know, there's so much information about incivility and bullying. It's so broad in a sense that there's definitely something for everyone in this. So, but that's one of the issues. And then um, supervisors might be conflict-averse, and that's for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, sometimes the people want to be, you know, the good guy. They don't want to stir the pot. They don't want to call somebody out. Other times, some supervisors may not have the skills, and that's actually my experience. I, I see, um, and this is just me, very few supervisors truly have the, the complete set of skills to deal with issues like this. Um, and then there's, uh, so, uh, there are supervisors that are just diverse, which they don't want to deal with it. They're, you know, this is a difficult conversation to have. And you have to have that inner strength to have those, you know, crucial conversations. So this is where I want to hopefully try to start thinking differently, maybe start transitioning into uh, that different framework. To me, this is an and conversation also, you know, I I know that in order to actually reduce this, you need to hit all the different aspects. So we absolutely need policy, we need accountability built in, but at the very basis of what we do, what we're trying to ask folks to do is really change bad kind of destructive behavior into good behavior. So it is absolutely essential that whatever we offer has a behavioral change component with it. So bear with me when I bring this up, I, I thought about, you know, putting it in, taking it out, but I, I left it in. So the question I have is, can people change? And I know this may sound very rudimentary, but, I ask this question because I've actually had a group of supervisors and employees both in different conversations who swore to me that there were certain individuals on a team that could not change. I remember this last conversation I had and there was a supervisor, he had been there for 20, 25 years, he was kind of, I wouldn't say a bully, but definitely rough, definitely a lot of um, instability with his supervisory style and they said they tried everything and they just believed he was just too, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. He was too old and set in his way to change. The reason I bring this up, and, and hopefully we're all, we may all be thinking the same way, but and that would be great. But the reason I bring this up is because I wanna make sure if we truly believe that people can't change, then we're not gonna try. We're not gonna offer any interventions. We're not gonna actually put forth the effort and to help this person change from turn those negative workplace aggressive behaviors into better behaviors. You know, and so that's why I wanna make sure that, that we just kind of take this quickly and, and move on. So, here it is. Human behavior has high levels of neuroplasticity, or human, the human brain, sorry, has high levels of neuroplasticity. The ability for them to, to form new connections, learn, and change behavior at any age is possible. These are the scientists they have proven this, so, we know, even if you don't believe it necessarily, we know that people have the ability to change. And so the question is, how can we get them to change? Or why won't they change? And this is really more of a conversation that has to do with the value for them in changing, and also the motivation. You know, in, when I speak to people, I speak to groups, I do some consulting on the side in different organizations as well. Um, I try to have a real balanced approach to what I do and, and what I say, but in this case, leadership holds the key, and I'll tell you why. And, and some of it's obvious, but leadership has the power to make organizational changes. I mean, they truly do. I, I like to try to say, and it's kind of jokingly, that leadership has at least 51% of the power. They actually have a lot more than that, um, but I like to try to have that balance, like I said. Um, but but they absolutely have the ability to, to have things happen or not have things happen, you know, for the most part, I guess we would say. You could have an employee within that group with a supervisor who may have all the skills. They may know all about how to re, um, reduce workplace bullying or aggression or incivility. They may have the skills to even take that informal leadership position. But if the leader doesn't support them, or better yet, undermines them, it's not gonna happen. So leadership truly holds that power in order to have that work group change in, in, in certain respects. 72% of all bullies are
0: supervisors.
1: That is the lion's share. That, that says a lot. So, I mean, we have to think about that for a second. 72%. And there's one piece that I didn't put on here, but they call it laissez-faire leadership, which is basically the absence of leadership. Um, if a leader is kind of checked out or they're letting people kind of run amok, that's also associated with very high levels of instability and bullying within the work group. Coercive leadership style, which is kind of more like a, I guess, a least leadership style, it's aggressive, it lowers morale, it reduces employee motivation. So we, we know that. Authentic leadership style is negatively associated with bullying. So you don't see when, we, when you have a leader that kind of has this leadership style, and when I say leader, I mean like supervisor, you know, chief, all the way up to the CEO. But when you see a leadership a leader that has authentic, there's less bullying, or maybe no bullying. The reason I bring this up is because it's very, very clear then that the presence of workplace bullying and aggression is highly associated with how the leader is in that organization or what the leader does. So how do we reduce workplace aggression while increasing outcomes? Um, this is where I'm gonna start talking about employee engagement. And I have my own simple little um, uh, saying that I tell people. that kind of gives them a, give them a feeling about what this is. So it's about having people, employees come to work, actually show up to work, work at the top of their ability or their license, but being truly happy and motivated being there. That's kind of my little sense when I try to tell people what is employee engagement but employee engagement is reached via a framework that creates very high levels of motivation and it's what it, it's such a high level of, of value and motivation for folks and it actually has the power to change a work culture from toxic and dysfunctional into healthy and thriving there are three uh, dimensions in, uh, with employee engagement one's a cognitive dimension so you know learning, education, there's an emotional dimension, and there's behavior, which I had mentioned, is a must when you're actually trying to change its behavior. I think the emotional kind of ties this all in and gives the employee or the manager the perspective of what's happening within the work group. And, uh, they found that organizations that have high levels of engaged employees are 21% more profitable than their competitors. That's huge. I mean, that's front page Wall Street Journal. If you're a massive major company you move the needle just slightly on the stock market so there's a significant amount of value that you can actually get from this so you can think about uh, managers and CEOs and their kind of their eyes to start opening up and, and it's all been proven it's all in the literature too and so it's like I said very high value so this is where just like I said earlier with uh, workplace aggression there's a, you know it's complex it's nuanced and there's not a lot of a comprehensive understanding or agreement uh, with some of the folks that are involved in, in, in the literature and writing these articles and whatnot. So what I'm doing is I'm actually, this is for me a, a nice neutral way of uh, presenting kind of a definition, definition of employee engagement. It looks at both um, you know, polarities, both spectrums, like this is what you can achieve or what you, you, know, for the better or worse, what you can achieve within a team uh, or an organization. So it's a measurable degree of the employee's positive and negative emotional attachment to their job, colleagues, and organization, which profoundly influences their willingness to learn and perform at work. So really you have, you know, this really looks at whether you have a very toxic culture or a very um, high-functioning, healthy culture that's incredibly profitable with high employee engagement. So, like I said, it's, 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 you, you achieve this through this big framework. And I actually even think it's a formula of sorts. And this isn't the entire formula. I'm sorry, that's a whole other day conversation. But these are some examples of the elements that comprise this, this formula or this framework. So, job control, rewards, communication. Workplace relationships, leadership style, which we talked about a little bit. Employee engagement is relying upon the leader, and usually it's the direct supervisor. That is really the one of the most fundamental relationships between employees and, and the organization, is your direct supervisor. So normally it's your direct supervisor. But what they're doing is they're performing and sustaining positive behaviors and gestures related to each of the elements toward their employees. So, basically, it, it's this, there are a group of the elements, and within each element, there are uh, behaviors and gestures that I do coaching and teaching with regards. So, I'll, I'll give you an example, like rewards is one of them. You know, we teach folks, you know, make sure you know what a reward is that ploy, that employees actually would value and they would like make sure things such as that you reward that person as close to the behavior as possible so that there's emotional connection with what you want them to do again. You know, it's about having them repeat their behavior. And so there's all these different aspects about rewards. You know, intrinsic rewards, extrinsic rewards, but we go through each of these um, elements or these categories, I would say. And so for employee engagement to actually work, and this is what I, I think is fascinating, if you just did one piece really well just say you reward you did a couple of them you know that's good but you're not going to achieve truly engaged employees because what the employees value is different and is nuanced and it doesn't matter whether it's within a same cohort or an age group or, or you know whatever the different characteristics are but if you actually do some of the behaviors and gestures in each of the elements or the categories, you can say. Together, they actually have a synergistic relationship and create this high value and motivation for change. So, and there's a ton of uh, psychological and sociological theories. I only brought in one. There is, there is so many to actually show and prove why this actually works and how it works. But here's one. So the trickle-down model is basically this, a supervisor or a leader, their behavior and that kind of uh, The value system that they bring down with them, you know, it's behaviors and gestures It actually trickles down to their staff and what you will see and this is when it's consistent over time what you'll see is actually the employees will start to mimic those behaviors and Display those behaviors and those gestures may may not be exact but similar ones to each other and to the supervisor and so that's kind of, you know, and, and that's a, a process of, like, group dynamics um, and, you know, different types of social learning theory and things like that. And again, like I said, that synergy of doing uh, pieces of all of those. And you don't have to be an expert at it. You know, you don't have to have a, a laundry list of each uh, of different behaviors, but there are some core ones that we talk about. Anyway, it increases motivation. It, it allows to rebuild trust between supervisors and employees it shows that actually supervisors and employees will commit to the new behaviors and it improves organizational performance. So this occurs obviously, and I said this earlier, but the supervisors must consistently initiate this engagement building behavior towards their employees. And as they do that, what happens is team culture becomes healthier and less aggressive over time. Um, just as incivility and bullying lead to a toxic environment, implementing a framework for achieving highly engaged employees actually change that work culture. And so we're talking about the values, the beliefs, the attitudes, and the behaviors to an environment that's actually thriving and performing. And that is what we're seeing, and it's interesting because you just kind of move through this spectrum, um, the same way, it really is in very in very much of a sense, the same way that these bullying and, and, and uncivil behaviors will lead to this toxic environment these positive behaviors will lead to this this better, more healthier, uh, high-performing environment. I like to look at this, and the reason I say this, and, and, and people may have their own experiences, but I, I've been in, in groups, and I've been in different services and departments in different organizations, and they've brought in some really good uh, education, some good programs. There's some stuff that's actually pretty good out there, um, videos, and even some how-tos. But what I have noticed in my experience is the focus has really been just a targeting bullying behavior or incivility. And it's really this very narrow focus. It's almost as if 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 you if it worked and you got rid of it, it would leave the group to neutral. And so what I found though is this: it's a huge commitment. There's a lot of learning, and there has to be a lot of value and motivation for it. So if you actually set and this is what you want to do. We are in a work context what we want to do, our endpoint is a high-performing team or a high-performing organization or a very profitable team or organization. We want to set our goals for that bar. So we want to be able to speak in the context of reducing workplace bullying within the context of actually improving the organization or team itself. So I kind of like this. I know that a behavior is nonlinear, so it doesn't follow the exact pattern. But, but this is a good kind of a a way for me to, to view this. You know, a lot of very negative behavior on the, on the left-hand side, a lot of very positive behavior, such as engaged employees on the right. Um, and what's interesting is that if you if you educate yourself on kind of what the effects are both um, in civilian building as well as engagement behavior, you can actually kind of track where your team or your organization is along the spectrum. So, and, and kind of you'll know what to kind of expect is going on possibly within that team. So, you know, with bullying, you can, if you said, oh, I assess that, that we're kind of have a lot of bullying, then we're going to look at a lot of absenteeism probably, maybe some females. Um, you know, we have higher turnover. We're, we may have some infighting. We may have problems I- I- implementing things. You know, people are avoiding each other. So there's all this context. And so as you move through the spectrum into more engaged behavior, you can kind of track that. And so, you know, the outcomes are like work quality, turnover, absenteeism, burnout, um, and they're a lot easier to predict than people think. So this, to me, was kind of that that aha moment or that aha time for me. My passion what I'm really, really good at is, uh, you know, coaching and consulting around engagement behaviors, teaching teams and organizations how do you actually achieve this and, and go through that whole process. And what was interesting to me was I started, you know, getting from these teams, talking to them. They were very interested. But what I learned was a lot of the teams that were most interested had actually moderate or high levels of instability and bullying in there. And so when I started going through the, the literature, and I did this probably about two or three years ago, it was really surprising me. It really seemed that these two entities, these two, uh, you know, achievements, I guess you could call them, uh, not to put that name necessarily, but they're mere opposites. And so, for bullying and civility, you have low levels of trust. And employee engagement, you have very high levels of trust. Low psychological safety, high psychological safety. The turnover is is really high with bullying and civility. Your retention is high with with employee engagement. They like where they work. Um, operational costs too. You know, you're spending a lot of money on turnover. You're spending a lot of money on lost productivity and all these other things associated with it. lower operational costs. You know, if you're all things given equal, if you have lower operational costs. You may turn a bigger profit. Um, productivity is is, is the, you know the mirror opposite. Organizational commitment. You know, with bullying and civility, you know there's no loyalty. You may be gone. Uh, higher organizational commitment with people that are or organizations that have engaged employees higher rates of depression which we talked about and, and are incredibly damaging so engagement and the literature shows increased well-being so really this uh, this ability to be almost i won't want to say a safe haven but the well-being associated with with working that many hours in people's lives is significant and they also show that that is and they can accomplish with employee engagement satisfaction same and then a lot of the engagement uh, originally, you know, decades ago when they started looking at how do we how do we address, they were really addressing burnout. They saw this high burnout, which obviously is associated with bullying and civility, and they wanted to kind of combat that. And that's kind of how uh, employee engagement came about. So This is a study, and it basically talks about, um, you know, it's a correlation between organizations that have high level uh, high levels of engagement engagement sorry (laughs) um they're more able to uh, achieve uh strategic goals so again like i said when you had the reverse it was very difficult to achieve i mean this is what uh, a nimble organization is built upon you know you want things initiated and within the context of the culture of that group i mean if you have something new that comes down and your culture is, you know, you're, you're together, you're, you like each other, you're able to work well together, you're supporting each other, all these positive things, all these positive values and cultures and kind of behaviors, then you're going to also have this idea that, that what's coming down is probably a good thing. Coming from a more toxic environment, you know, and, and if anybody can think about this or have their own experience, you know, it's another thing they're making us do. What are they trying to do to us? The whole slant and perception of what is happening changes. It may be the exact same uh, initiative, but the ideas will, will change, the perception will change. Higher rates of employee retention, we just talked about that. Less sick leave, lost time due to work-related illness and injury. You know, this reminds me of that one slide that said 80% of the people were kind of, uh, you know, preoccupied with worrying about this, you know, the uncivil behavior. You know, this, this is where the injuries come in. This is where, you know, you have your FEMLAs and you have your, you know, all sorts of things. So, and then fewer EO complaints. And I would say fewer grievances. And I would say fewer uh, suspensions. I mean, it's amazing coming from organized labor, all the things that you can actually solve just by having this type of a work environment. It looks great on paper. It's actually proven. I, I, there's a lot of literature that supports what I say, and there's a lot of information, there's a lot of stories. But the real question is, does it work? And the answer is yes. So I'll just briefly go through this one. Uh, it was one of the latest groups I was doing some consulting with. So I was in, now. I'm not going to tell you exactly who it is to protect the innocent and the guilty, but um, it was a significant work group, probably about 160 employees. Um, I can't even remember how many. Managers managers, maybe 20-25 managers uh, and a chief, and so uh, I was introduced to them and they were very interested in, in having me come in and, and talk to them about what I do and maybe how I could help them. And we really started talking about uh, some of the high turnover and the absenteeism rates, and they were interested in that, as well as me telling them, you know, what you can accomplish, you know, this profitability, this productivity and all of these things. So they're very interested in, in uh, hearing what I had to say. What I found out was, just to give you some context, there had been pretty high levels of bullying behavior, incidentally, and bullying behavior, uh, mostly from the managers. Um, and this had gone on from between seven and 10 years. Their turnover rate was so high. it was like 60, 70 percent year-over-year, that it was hard to get a, a, a real consistent story because there was not a lot of people left. Um, so you, you know they had this. And in fact, it, what I found out was this had affected their brand so much that they actually were unable to hire locally any longer. I mean, they had to initiate sign-up bonuses, retention bonuses, which did not work, and also do national searches, which added to a lot more cost. And so they were really struggling. This was a, this was a department that had they failed, had they had to close down because they didn't have the, the folks there, it, it was a good possibility they would have to close the whole organization, I mean, at least temporarily. So it, it was pretty significant. What was interesting, and, and to me, is, you know, they didn't know me that well. They, they heard of me, but they, did, they really didn't know it. There wasn't a lot of trust there. But after really talking to them about not just the um, reducing workplace uh, aggression, but also the thing they could accomplish. I mean, the value in the buy-in was 100%. And then when I even talked to some of the employees and just kind of talked about, you know, I like to be transparent, what am I there doing? What am I there for? I did not have one employee, even skeptical employees, that said, oh, no, we don't want this. I mean, it was pretty much 100%. There's something for everyone in employee engagement. Everyone benefits all the way through the organization, you know, from the, from the line staff all the way to the CEO. And so, anyway, so we went in, and I'll make this kind of short, but the agreement was to meet with about 10 managers. It's kind of like a train-the-trainer uh, situation. I couldn't meet with all of them, but I with 10 of them once a week for one hour. Probably went over at times, maybe 15 minutes. And it was really around coaching and, and consulting around those um, elements, those categories I mentioned earlier. And at the end of six months, this is interesting. I had the, uh, the, the second in command, the assistant chief there, um, basically said he had been collecting data information, which I was happy he was doing for me. It showed a 57% decrease in some in this workplace aggression, in kind of the, the behaviors, what was going on there. And we talked about this. We said, you know, I said, you know, you can predict how this is gonna work as you start to um, get better at what you're doing. You know, it's something that takes time it's over time and consistency that it works. But I said the first thing you're probably going to see is a slowdown and then maybe stopping, for the most part, turnover. Then the absenteeism will start to change and so on and so forth. And so they actually saw that they were, uh, you know, people were getting along better. People were liking the supervisor. This was really a supervisors on one team and the, the employees were on the other team and it was a war. I mean, that's kind of what the culture was. And so they actually showed, and, and they were so excited. And what I noticed, which I liked, was it was a change in attitude and behavior. It was a change in the culture. That feeling that was a little more free. That feeling that it was, it, was, it was more cohesive in a good way. And that the members actually were more lighthearted. That they weren't doing this. I mean, it was interesting because other behaviors we hadn't even talked about were then changing towards more positive ones. And they were seeing the benefits they even went all the way up to the ceo of the company and said you know this is where, where we were at and this is where we are now We really would love this we think this is great for the, the entire organization so um anyway that's my story
2: and i think i will end right now
1: And thank you so much for listening to me
2: hi gian thank you so much i have the Hello. benefit having chatted with you a little bit before this um so i i um I'm anticipating a few things. So I've synthesized some questions here. Okay. Um, you know, it's interesting that, as Ed pointed out, aggression in the workplace can often be perceived as a person who's a real go getter. And I appreciate that you were able to show us how workplace aggression is actually the opposite of engagement. So, my question for you, or our question for you, is do you have any specific examples of engagement? for shifting these attitudes and do those strategies differ depending on things like industry sector organizational size or is it more about organizational culture and positional power dynamics
1: so this is the nice part about it i've been able to go into a variety of different organizations this if you have people there this follows the very very similar track so this happens everywhere I mean the differences are the nuances in what people value you know what um, the difference would be it would be tweaking it to whatever the organization is and what they're achieving but really what's nice about this is the engagement behaviors are so universal that you can apply them to any industry that's why I like this so much because you could just drop me cold into any industry what i'm going to be listening to and talking about is the actual behaviors themselves which are similar you know what sorts of behaviors are they doing what are they saying what is their intention and so employee engagement actually works in that context um and i'm going to try to answer the first part of your question and maybe you can clarify if i'm not um because and this is where it's a whole other conversation so there are specific things that you can do to actually help with engagement um, it would depend on what the circumstances. there's a lot of nuances I have a bag of things that I do but it really would um, there would have to be a lot of dialogue and discussion about which which ones I would use but in general and this is what and if I didn't say this the elements that I talked about if you're and this is the most wonderful thing so ev- everybody has a different idea about what's of value to them including supervisors what's important to them you know some people What's work by balance is really important some people love to work you know some people want need to get off at this time some people you know every you know they want to make more money there's all these different aspects some want to have a lot of responsibility in formal leadership and it it's so dynamic what this does is these elements cover basically a hundred percent for the most part of all the categories within an organization within what people can that's realistic, I would say, obviously, but they, but people could expect and achieve within an organization. And so, by doing each a piece of each one of these elements, it's really about changing the culture over time. What's interesting, and maybe we'll talk about this throughout the day, is a lot of the um, a lot of the questions. The answer is, if you change the culture, if the culture is actually more positive, this won't even be an issue, or this issue would change you know from what it was to something else so you know if you could maybe clarify the first part i'm not sure if i answered it totally so for you
2: no i mean i think i think you did and and if i'm understanding correctly it sounds like if organizational members or if team members or whatever whoever the group is is able to collaborate and find some agreement on their values that maybe that's a good place to start
1: it's, oh, it's a wonderful place. In fact, one of the exercises we taught, I, I didn't bring include this, but I will i will give this away in a sense. One of the exercises we do is actually um, introducing new values to the organization or to the team. We actually, it really, it's easier to start team by team. And then as you have more teams, you tip the culture. That's kind of how you, you do it for the whole organization. And then it kind of just spirals and snowballs in a positive way. But you as supervisor and i would say the supervisor is responsible for doing this they can start to introduce and have a dialogue with their team members the beautiful thing about this is let me give you an example one of the values that may be an underlying value or maybe even you know a value that isn't there but is really wanted is is, is integrity as an example and so what you want to do is you as a supervisor you want to start talking about what type of values we want to have for our team what are we going to agree upon and really it's about the inclusive conversation with all the team members that actually gets the buy-in and that's something that i think we all know about it you know if you include people in the decision making buy-in is far greater and so but by having a structured conversation about what do we want this to look like and then what does integrity look like to us some people are going to say oh integrity is we show up to work on time Integrity is we don't leave consults for somebody else, or we don't, you know, try to do less work. And so, you know, it's whatever the group wants, but you start to build that, that culture and that value based on those types of conversations.
2: That's great. And so it sounds like if, if we're able to come to agreement on some values, that that in some ways begins to empower folks to have a little more job control, right? Because they get to be a part of the decision about what we value most. And I think that's a really important point and something that we often undervalue the value of value, right, so to speak. But, you know, just to throw you a curveball or actually Ed Stern is throwing you a curveball. So under- okay. <laughs> so how do you lead folks? These are going to be sort of our outliers who have narcissistic personality disorders. Um, how do you lead them to treat others with civility if those values aren't shared at their core?
1: So, you know, that is a great question. Um, thank you for the curveball. And there's two answers to this question. There, uh, there's two answers. Um, the literature would say that um, when you go through all this, I mean, we, nothing is 100% human. We, we can't say that 100% of the people are going to go through this. What we are going to say is high, high levels. There are outliers. And there are outliers with people that have secondary motivations and gains. Some of which, which you just mentioned, was a personality type or disorder, I would say. And so narcissistic personality, is—it that's a tough one. However, your first line of defense is actually trying to understand that person's value system. This is what's interesting. For the most part, people actually will um, accept internally a lot of these values and attitude changes over time. It will become part of them. But if you have a a, a personality disorder, maybe the best you're going to get, and I don't know of any literature out there right now, and I haven't done any studies, but the best you're gonna get is if the value is more important, if they are rewarded, if they are recognized, which is some of the high value for narcissism, if they're the leader, you're the best guy out there, you're the best gal out there. And that's congruent with engagement behaviors or allowing that behavior to happen and continue based on the different elements, then your chances of actually having them allow that to occur is better than nothing. So again, it may not be, I, I, I don't know whether it will become real, be, become part of who they are as a person. Maybe, hopefully over time. But what I do know is, if it's valuable enough for them to look good, and they will look good when they achieve employee engagement, then the chances of them doing that go up exponentially let me tell you what the literature says and and they haven't looked at necessarily what i'm presenting today but the literature says you may have some people no matter what you try no matter what type of accountability policies you know uh, changing the culture whatnot there's a very small group of people and the literature says this pretty clearly that you have to remove because that type of a person could in fact start to poison the well you know, part of what we're talking about is having the culture be more positive than negative. And if someone is intent, let's just say it's a supervisor or or an or an employee, if they're intent on causing harm and damage, well, you have to address that. The only thing I would say with organized labor piece, be fair, be just, show that the way that you manage that situation, you would manage any other employee that way, and that you built yourself a... Um, you know, a portfolio of sorts that kind of says, we've tried everything, we've done everything, and maybe even have a conversation about this did not being a good organizational fit or career fit for them. So there's a lot of things that you can start talking to them about.
2: That's very helpful, thanks. And I know that I'm aware of the time, but I did have one last follow-up for you. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the piece about justice and fairness and how you're dealing with employees who may, you know, tend towards narcissism. Um, How do you have any specific uh, conversation starters with a team to ensure that they're not feeling like this is a a perceived injustice, that perhaps that person who has harmed others through narcissism um, is now being elevated or is maybe being catered to in the workplace? So one of
1: the big things in all this. Even though I said um, that we begin with a supervisor and a lot of the skills are being taught to them, the second piece of this is actually, and and all along the entire road, is real transparency, is real communication between the teams. This whole process is about building those relationships and actually having a cohesive team. So bringing that supervisor in and being viewed as a team member themselves is kind of what you want. Yes, they're in a leader position. Um, yes, they have this power. Yes, they they're they're going to be viewed obviously differently, but they also need to be viewed as someone who has their back and is a team member. So, you know, you want to be able to. I think I lost your question. <laughs> I have if you want to be able to create that, that cohesiveness.
2: Thank you so much, Jan. This has been fabulous. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. For
0: more information and recordings on our previous fall and spring symposia. Visit our institute website at www.ohsu.edu.ochealthsci and visit the training and symposia tab. If you're looking for additional resources related to workplace violence, visit the United States Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration page at osha.gov slash workplace-violence, as well as the Department of Labor website. We can make all of these links available in the show notes. You're listening to What's Work Got to Do with It, your go-to resource on all things workplace safety, health, and well-being. This podcast series invites you into the conversation as we discuss how our workplace conditions like work hours, occupational stress, job safety, and other issues affect our lives at home and at work. We go into the science behind it all and talk about what we can do to reduce work-related risk and promote well-being. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is a production of the Oregon Institute of Occupational Health Sciences and the Oregon Healthy Workforce Center and is produced by Helen Shuckers, Sam Greenspan, and Anjali Rameshwabu. Do you have an idea for a podcast episode? We want to hear from you on important workplace issues that you would like us to discuss. Email us at ochealthsci at ohsu.edu. Subscribe to Oregon in the Workplace blog or find us on social media at facebook.com slash or on Twitter at OHSU to stay updated on current research, resources, news, and community events. Thanks for listening.